Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week's Mike Wise Show marks our first anniversary with Pure Hoops Media. Our very first show was on January 14th of 2019, and today's show drops on January 13th of 2020. One year ago, our first guest was Jamal Crawford who named all 19 of his NBA coaches in order. Today's guest is here to help us discuss a very important issue in American society, and how the sport of basketball can help heal a rift between two communities that are very different, but share a love of the sport. But first, Darlene, it's all on you. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. Over the past several months, there's been a major spike in anti-Semitic crime, particularly in the greater New York City area. The vast majority of the assaults against Jewish New Yorkers have come at the hands of African-Americans. Can the sport of basketball help heal the rift between the two communities? Today, we'll tackle that question with my distinguished guest, Tamir Goodman. The name might ring a bell, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tamir. He was ranked in the top 25 of high school players back in 2000, but he turned down a scholarship at the University of Maryland because of his religious beliefs. They didn't permit him to play on Friday evenings and Saturday before sundown. Tamir was dubbed the Jewish Jordan. He ended up at Towson University where his religious beliefs were honored before emigrating to Israel and playing professionally for Maccabi Tel Aviv and other teams. He now coaches and runs clinics in Israel. Back in 2007, he launched his first of many cultural diversity basketball camps. The goal was to bring the Jewish and African-American communities closer together through basketball. Needless to say that the players improved their basketball skills. Some of them even went on to play college and pro basketball. However, even more meaningful than that are the relationships and friendships formed, which have stood the test of time. Tamir Goodman, welcome to our program. Thank you very much. Thank you for thinking of me. Big fan and honored to spend some time with you. Oh, thank, thank you. It's funny, I know before we even got on the air here, I thought to myself, uh, Tamir, I communicate with him on Facebook occasionally. I see him on social media. Um, He must just go back and forth. And I'm like, no, uh, pardon my ignorance. I didn't even realize you'd been over there that long. Do you, how often do you get back to the United States? I rarely come back. If I do, it's maybe once or twice a year for a very, very quick trip, maybe two to three days at most. I've been blessed with a wife and five kids, and I, it's, it's not a one-person job. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to leave, and I just don't want to leave all that on my wife's shoulders to handle five, putting five kids to bed, getting five kids off to school. It's not a one-person job, so I try to, try to be, be at home and as helpful as possible. I mean, uh, uh, that, that's that's incredible. I have three, and I understand 
once you get past two, you're basically playing zone defense. You 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 literally have to just you have to you have to design a one three one just to keep them in order. It's a crazy. <laughs> you um your how, what are the ages of your children? I'm curious. Um, my oldest is our oldest is 15, and our youngest is two. So it's um it's a lot of fun, and we also have a a big dog. So you know, living the dream every day. Thank God. Oh man, what kind of dog you got? In Israel, they call her Knanit, uh, like a Canaanite dog. Um, that's how they call it here. She's a rescue dog. She's very sweet. Um, we're glad that we saved her, and she's very happy to be part of the family as well. Her name is Goofy. Does she observe uh, Shabbat and the Sabbath? Uh, yes. She could tell when it's Friday night um, because <laughs> she could just, you know, mm-hmm. the food is cooking extra, smells extra good, and mm-hmm. every Shabbat morning, my wife and I take her for an extra long walk. We a lot of times go look at the old city and see the cool areas of Jerusalem, and she loves taking that walk on Shabbat with us. Oh, man. Uh, you're one of nine children from an Orthodox Jewish family. I'm curious, what was it like growing up in such a large family? Did you, did you ever hope for a ninth sibling so you could play five-on-five full-court games? I I really grew up in the perfect family, thank God. And I, everything that I accomplished was because of my family. And in that, I mean, I grew up in an observant Jewish home, but I had the support at a very young age, uh, you know, me wanting to be a college basketball and professional basketball player. And even though that was a little bit unusual for most of the kids in our area to have that type of dream and aspiration, and my, my family never never said that I couldn't. They always supported me, and I specifically remember one time playing with my older brothers in the backyard, and uh, they beat me. They were older than me, and I came in, and I was really sad, and my brother said to my mother, she was in the kitchen, tell Tamir it's just a game. Why is he taking it so seriously? And I looked at my mother, and I said, you know, basketball is not just a game for me. It means a lot more than just a game, and I think that was the moment where she realized um, that I was very, very serious about this, and from that day on, she did it. And my entire, and my father, blessed memory, my entire family, everything possible with great self-sacrifice to help me live out my dream. And I can never thank them enough for that. And the, so do you, when you come back, do you visit them? I visit them. I always try to go to my father's grave. He's, he's buried in Dundalk, Maryland, hmm. um, which is very sad. Um, how but, how yeah, long ago did he I pass? Back, he passed away seven years ago. Hmm. And he was. You're not very uh, old. You know, You're not very old yourself. He was. He sounds like he was nah, fairly. He young. wasn't. Yeah, he was young, and also my father-in-law passed away very young. So I, you know, we both lost our fathers at a very young age, but we try to honor them every single day through our actions, and hmm. we're also blessed for the times that we did get to spend with them. And my father was just the perfect father, and um, I am inspired by him every day till today. There were so many times that we had crazy away games and he was very busy and yeah, I would, we would just get there and get to the gym and didn't matter where it was. My father, somehow he was there you know? <laughs> and just, he was just, uh, he was just the best. He was just the best. So mm. just everything I do on a daily basis, try to do it for, for his honor. When you were young, did you ever face anti-Semitic taunts on the court because you were so well known as the Jewish Jordan? <laughs> well, I definitely uh, 
escape from anti-Semitism, but for the for the most part, it was really the exact opposite. See, I grew even when I was about nine, ten years old, I'd already like in the summertime leave um, on my bike early in the morning, and I'd go to the park where it was basically almost everyone there was African American, and I would just stay on the sideline, watch the adults play basketball, and practice my ball handling on the side and between the breaks, ask the players for some advice and ask them for show me a couple of things. And they would. And I figured that if I stay, I found out that if I stayed there long enough uh, until about eight, nine o'clock at night, it starts to get dark outside. Um, then eventually they'd, they'd allow me to play five on five because there wasn't enough players. Most of the players went home. So I'd literally dribble on the sidelines all day long just for that those <laughs> couple of moments where I could play before it would get too dark. And a lot of what court is this community, this was this was called Pikesville High. This was at Pikesville High School. Ah. And even at a very young age, you know, I was completely in that world and and I was embraced and I was hugged and everybody appreciated how much I loved the game and I guess my resilience. And I remember specifically my Jewish teacher drove by one day in her car and she saw me there. I was the only Jewish kid there. I had my keep on and everything. And she, she asked me, she said, Hey, aren't you scared to be here all by yourself? And I said, no, I feel right at home right here. And I honestly did. So I grew up in that environment with um, tremendous respect um, and love. And a lot of my mentors came from the African American community. And a lot of what I do is kind of giving back to thank them and to show the world that it really there really is a lot of, you know, common qualities between the African-American and Jewish community. We're both based on respect and faith and giving back and spirituality and caring for each other. And those are the pillars of both communities. So I think we have a lot more in common than maybe is portrayed in the media and stuff like that. So I try to work through that energy. And I think basketball has proven itself as the best platform to bring the communities together. And I, I, I've learned that at a very young age and throughout my entire career and in an increasing manner now try to focus as much attention on that. Obviously, as I got older, there was some anti-Semitism, but even if there was, many times there were, it was the African-American community that came to defend me. I can specifically remember once at um, NBA, either was, uh, it was, I think it was at NBA camp. It was one of these invitations, at an invitational basketball camp, about okay. 17 years old, an elite basketball camp. There was, we had about a group of like seven kids from Baltimore that were invited to this elite camp. And one night I was kind of low on kosher food. My coach happened to be there from Baltimore, Coach Katz. And he was like, hey, do you want to like go to a local gas station? We'll see if they have any kosher food. We could, you know, restock you a little bit. And I said, sure. And as we were going out, we saw some of the Baltimore boys. And, um, and coach was like, hey, we're going out. Do so you want to grab something with us to eat? And they said, sure. And when I got to the gas station, there was uh, another person there started making fun of me for being Jewish, saying some pretty mean things in a pretty serious way. And I was, I was just what ignoring him. Like, like what, what, I mean, like the, uh, a Jewish slur? What, like what, what, what would they yeah, say? Yeah, exactly. Typical, typical Jewish derogatory terms about Jewish people. Yeah, and I never would ever respond, but it was specifically the African American kids that were from Baltimore, the other players that stepped in and said, "Hey, do not, don't talk to our guy like that," you know. And almost at any major crossroad in my career, the African American community was there to help me. When I had to transfer my senior year in high school, um, 
Tacoma Academy. It was a Christian school, Seventh-day Adventist school. Most of the players on the team, most of the kids in the school were African-American. They reached out to me, and they invited me to graduate with them at school. And that's where I graduated high school. When I played at Towson, I could literally talk to you guys for hours on end of how many times my African-American teammates went out of their way to not only support me, but to just, like, make sure everything was, like, amazing for me on and off the court with tremendous self-sacrifice. I had a Muslim roommate named Muhammad Fafana that, you know, I could even give you one example. There's one holiday called Sukkot where Jewish people eat Yeah, do so. I love hearing this. Go. Yeah, so it's there's a lot of, like, Jewish customs and laws, but there's, like, a time of year that, like, we had to eat in the sukkah in this little tent, but it came out on a Friday night, and it, Jewish people aren't really allowed to carry in a public domain because it's seen as work on Friday night unless there's, like, this special um, rope that goes around the town that would make it a private domain called an Eru, and they didn't have one of those on Towson University. So basically I had no way of bringing my food on Friday night into the sukkah. And Muhammad, who was like a six, nine, six foot 10 center, like one of the tallest guys on campus would walk across campus with my food and bring it into the sukkah for me so that I'd be able to eat. Uh, um, so I was at Towson. Can you, Oh, excuse me one second. Excuse me, Tamir. Can you explain to people why it's so important to you to live a um, live an orthodox life and and also what does a kosher diet mean for people that don't know because I, I, there's a lot of people out there listening to the podcast right now thinking what why would he have to eat special food why would uh, and 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 i think that you explaining it would really be helpful to the audience so i think i'm not a rabbi i'm not a righteous person i'm just a simple person but, but you did so stay at a I, but, I left. But you did stay at a Holiday yeah. Inn Express <laughs> last night, so you can pretend you're a rabbi. <laughs> so, in short, I think Judaism just tries to put you in a in a situation to live a happy and meaningful life. And yeah. if you eat a certain way, um, you're 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 better off. And and Judaism's culture is, is in short, it's just a, a healthier way to eat. You know, you have, you eat the right foods with the right mindset. Try to be mindful when you're eating that you shouldn't just eat because you're hungry, but you're eating so that you can have energy to better the world. The food's been washed over a certain way. It's made sure that meat and milk aren't um, mixed together, et cetera. And usually that eating along those those guidelines will, will help us live a happy and more meaningful life. And um, it's like that with everything in Judaism. It's just trying to help you put you in a better situation to live a successful life. And you know, for Shabbat specifically, not playing on Shabbat, it's just like we live in such a rat race where, like, from the second we wake up to the second we go to bed, we're just, like, constantly just trying to stay above everything and working really hard, and we don't really get to focus on our soul. We focus on our body, and, you know, the weekend, Shabbat, it's just time to, like, focus on our purpose in this life, on our family, just sit around the table, look at your kids in their eyes, and them look back at you and just know that tonight there's no way you're going to answer the phone. You're not going to accept the text. You're just going to focus on your soul, your spirituality, your family, your purpose in this life. You're going to look at your kids and be able to answer any questions they have, read a book with them, play a board game with them, thank God with them. So, you know, Shabbat was really important for the overall well-being. And I think my teammates knew that. And when I was at Towson specifically, there was only one game that I missed. It was our conference semifinal game we were one game away from the championship and it came out on a Friday night and I had sat out that game and I stayed in a hotel that was right across the street from the arena. 
the rest of the team stayed at a hotel that was about 20 minutes away. Why did I stay there? I stayed there because if they won on Friday night without me, I'd be able to play the second half on Saturday night. I'd be able to walk right across the street and play in the second half. But I wasn't sure if they were going to win or not on Friday night because I couldn't watch TV. But on Friday night, um, I had a special visitor there. First of all, my father came to spend Shabbat with me. We were shocked. We heard a, a, a knock on the door in that hotel late at night. And we opened up the door as my entire team. And they said, hey, come here. We just want to let you know. Oh, what a, we what a moment. The game. Yeah, we won the game for you tonight. We won the game for Shabbat. We respect so much that you didn't play tonight. And they that was the greatest sports moment of my life because wow. it was like they just won the biggest game of their career. They have to do the scouting report. They have to eat after rest. Tomorrow night's the biggest game, and yet they stopped to find their freshman play card in a separate hotel. I mean, this, that was just this is just like a little taste of, of what I was able to experience with the two communities coming together, and I'll never be able to thank my teammates enough. Mm, wow. Yeah, and Tamir that. Good Tamir Goodman is the guest, and he's he's already been fabulous. You're currently involved with a project with the Players Tribune. Can you tell us a little bit about the project? Yeah, the Players Tribune is uh, launching a series. Actually, they've already shown I think the first three episodes, and they're trying to show. They call it the real story. So you want to know the real story, and they're just trying to show from the players' perspective some of the vibe and energy and mindset and thought process and challenges that the players go through that maybe the fan might not know about. And I was blessed that they uh, were able to include me in this project. I, I feel in no way that I, you know, when I look at the other athletes that they've interviewed, Allen Iverson and um, you know, Eddie Curry and Vince Young and Terrell Owens, like I don't belong in the same series with these guys at all. But I think it's been about 20 years since my story was just so um, out there in the media. And yeah. I felt like maybe it wasn't well, time to show, to let well, I wanna, know I wanna, what I was going through. I want to correct you for one second. You are in the same category as Eddie Curry. In fact, I put you above Eddie Curry. <laughs> Eddie, if you're out there well, listening, these, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, it's. Um, I just felt like it was time and right People um, connected the dots. Eric Elston, guy who helped make this happen, and then the team at the Players Tribune have been really amazing. I was able to go to New York and uh, see their studio and do an interview with them, and hopefully the the documentary will be coming out really soon and will hopefully bring a lot of light to this world. I, I just the whole notion of basketball being a uh, the you know the world's game like soccer is and bringing people together in some ways it's such a cliche but it's so true it's so you're on that court you're on that court in pikesville working on the side waiting for you know they always say you call next on the playground you were calling next for like hours <laughs> it didn't matter calling next for hours and the reason that it's it's it works and I, I just can't think of a better platform than, than basketball is because what matters in basketball matters at exactly what you just said. This kid really wants it. You know, it doesn't matter who he's from, where he's from, what his culture is, what her culture, it doesn't matter. The matters is you came to play, you played with respect, you did your time, you worked hard, you respected the game, respected everyone else around you, you gave it your best. Those, those are the type of things that matter in basketball. And really, that's what really matters in life. And I think it translates really well on the court. And that's why it's been such a magical platform. And that's why I'm so focused on 
creating that and recreating that for as many people as possible. I know this summer we're trying to bring some African-American players to Jerusalem to my camp. And the reason I've put so much energy and make it happen is because I just know what's going to happen. I know when these kids meet other kids who they otherwise they would have never met if it wasn't through basketball, they're going to become friends for life and they're going to all become ambassadors for goodness and kindness and breaking down any stereotypes, et cetera. And all we, comes through the language of basketball and the language of basketball is hard work, dedication, you know, these type of great virtues. That's what matters in basketball. And that's really what matters in life. Tamir Goodman is my guest. He's tremendous. He, and I didn't even tell anybody this, but he's calling in from Jerusalem. People should know this. Uh, the, the, you're, you're essentially in the Holy land and the, I've never been. I I always wanted to go. You told me the the um, the the weather's great there. You're, you, I'm sure the people are great. Um, I my God, my God is this. When I see a story like what happened with the Hanukkah celebration in New York, and a man comes in and shoots it up, I grimace and I go, God, what a what an awful world we live in. I must feel like something like that would affect you even more strongly because of your background and and seeing how the African-American community and the Jewish community has bonded over the game and so many other things in life, it must just eat you up inside. Yeah, you know, Jerusalem's a magical place. Everyone, almost anyone you talk to or even mention Jerusalem, even over the phone, like if somebody in America or I send someone birthday message or something, I always say, sending blessings from Jerusalem. And then I'll write back, wow, that means so much. You know, people are, people's souls are just so connected to Jerusalem. And there was a great rabbi once, his name was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, Lubavitch Rebbe. And one of my favorite teachings of his is that he says, if you see something in the world that's broken, God is making you see that thing that's broken so that you can fix it and become partners with God and better the world. So when I see something like that, or I hear something like that, I immediately come into action and I say, okay, how can we fix this? How can we make this better? How can we make sure something like this doesn't happen again? And that's, that's my reaction to these types of things. I try to take the sadness and somehow flip it around to bring light, so much light that it won't happen again. You know, um, that's what I do through the camps and clinics. You know, uh, you've heard of Catholic guilt, right? Where people are guilty yeah. and there's obviously Jewish guilt. I feel Gentile guilt right now for not living the life you live. I, I, I need to stay home on Friday night with my kids more. I need to spend Saturday off my screen, off my phone. I think, you know what, Tamir, this isn't a podcast. This is a life coach episode, and people should pay for this, I'm, I've decided. <laughs> this is great. I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I know I'm being... I'm not being facetious. Like, this is great stuff. I really, I, I really you know... It's not just basketball. You're really, you, you've really found a, you've really found a life for yourself that you, not only you can be proud of, but other people can almost model. And uh, I think it says something not only to you, but not only to you, but the people who raised you. And like you said, a lot of your mentors. Yes, I've been very, very, very. I'm not an extraordinary person. This is a very simple person, but I've been blessed with an amazing family with the most incredible wife. Oh, that and just sounds. And, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, what what do they call it, God you up or anything. I'm not gonna put you on a pedestal, but you're so much better than the people on this program. I have had some heathens. I mean, I'm talking Jason Whitlock. I'm talking some media cretins. Most of the players actually have been pretty good. Some of the executives have been good. A couple of them, well, they put us through the ringer, but nonetheless, you, sir, you, sir, are a model, are a model citizen compared to the guests on my program. In fact, you blow away Bruce Bernstein, even my producer. I just want to tell you that right now. Uh, Bruce has been really great to work with and putting this together. So thank you, Bruce. Uh, uh, Tamir Goodman's the guest. He's, uh, I could talk to him for hours. I, I can't keep him all day. Um, of course, he didn't do this interview on Saturday because uh, he was observing the Shabbat. And, uh, and so, actually, it's my Sabbath today. I got to go, Tamir. I'm kidding. Um, who are some of your favorite players from Israel? Like, like for, for Israel fans, I'm sorry. Like, if, if you're talking about, like, Israeli fans, who are their, who are their most favorite players? Is it Ennis Cantor, okay. Omri Caspi? So I, I would say, like, in, you know, since I got here, you know, Coach David Blatt brought me here. Um, and I want to say it's almost been 20 years now. When I first got here, the favorite player for most of Israel was a player by the name of Anthony Parker. Maybe you, maybe you guys might not remember him, but he actually played for Maccabi Tel Aviv. He went on to play for the Raptors and the Cavaliers. I remember Anthony, Anthony Parker. Parker. So oh, he was yes. huge. Anthony he was Parker. huge. Anthony Parker was so huge. Um, and I don't know if you realize it, but he wore number 18, even though he wasn't Jewish. 18 in Judaism represents Chai, which is life. So even when he went back to the NBA, he wore 18. And when he put that 18 jersey on, almost as like a thank you to the country of Israel and all the great times he had here, both on and off the court. Israel will never uh, forget Anthony Parker. <laughs> He's uh, will always be loved by this country, especially gonna, when he wore the 18. I'm going to charge him with co-opting your religion. He took your number. That's not right. No, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't know if you do. You still remember the program we were on uh, Washington Post Live years ago at Comcast? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you, the first thing I said to you was like, well, everybody says Tamir Goodman is the Jewish Jordan. They call me the, the Gentile Paul McKeskey. Um, and, uh, and from that moment on, I thought we were, we bonded. I, maybe it was just me. No, we're, we're close. We're good. I was so happy to, re- I was so happy to reconnect with you for this project. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, like obviously we have basketball in common, but, but more than that, I think, we, we love it when the game brings people together. We see that it can. Um, your, your story is testimony to that almost as much as anyone. Um, at any point in your career, a basketball player career, as, at any point did you, um, did you yearn to be in the NBA? I mean, did you yearn to be in the NBA? Like, did, you ever, did you ever call David Blatt up and say, can, can you just get me to Cleveland for a tryout? <laughs> no, I I kind of grew up with the personality of you just try uh, to live every day to the fullest and and see where it takes you. Yeah, I definitely definitely did one goal, and I don't really work like this in general. Is but one goal that I really wanted to show the world that you get a Division One scholarship without playing on Shabbat. Like that was a goal that I set for myself at age ten, 
And I'm just so thankful to Towson University and Coach Jazz and the staff and the players for allowing me to live out my dream. That, that was your that goal? I that was your goal? It wasn't, to, it wasn't to get a Division One scholarship or go to the NBA, but it was – it was to show it was to show um, kids that are out there on the playground observing Shabbat, realizing there's no way I'm, uh, anybody's going to even be interested in me because of because of how I observe this. Like that was your goal. That's amazing to me. That was my goal, and it wasn't just for me and Shabbat. It was for any kid that has any type of dream, and it might seem impossible. Hmm. So it's like it's impossible for you to play Division One on a scholarship because there's so many games on Shabbat. How is that ever? You're wasting your time. Like that's you know, and then for that to like not for that to be broken down and you and actually live out the dream and show the world you could do it. You know, it's just it's amazing. And a lot of things have to have to happen. You have to work really hard, but you also have to be blessed to be around the right people that will go out of their way to make that happen for you. And I know that that was a miracle that happened to me. And I can't ever thank Coach Jazz and the staff and the players there for allowing me to live out my dream. But it wasn't about me. It's never been about me. It's about some kid that's out there right now playing on the court and they want to play in college. And for some reason, they think they're never going to be able to play in college because of X, Y, or Z that's going on in their life. And then maybe they could hear my story and say, well, I'm going to go for this. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And then well, they'll, they'll be able to live out their dream as well. Well, and we, and we talk about bridging the two communities together in the wake of such awful uh, violence and things that have happened. Um, former NBA all-star Amari Stoudemire is an African-American who's converted to Judaism. And he's spoken passionately to the black community about ridding itself of anti-Semitic violence and negative thoughts about Jewish people. Um, can he be a catalyst for changing perceptions um, in the black community? I've been fortunate to spend some time with Amari up close and personally. Um, he played here in Israel for three seasons. We have um, got to know each other a little bit, and we've worked on some projects together to bring light to the world. And I think in a lot of ways, obviously he was an exceptional NBA player. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable on the court, but I, you know, just looking at him from the side and, and watching the player and some of the things that he's been involved in, I, I, I feel like it's taken a, maybe a little bit more courage for some of the things that he's doing now than maybe even during his playing career. I agree. And I'm, I'm proud of him for that. And, it, you know, it's, it's been great to see what he's able to accomplish and hopefully will continue to accomplish. And I'm blessed to, to call him a friend. You know, he's, it's, it's rumored he's one, it's rumored he wants to go back to the NBA. Yeah, he wants, I think that's what I've read as well. Um, I just enjoyed watching him, you know, even in warmups, I, you know, I took my son to the game and I just say, watch Amari in warmups. You could tell he played in the NBA for so many years, you know, just yeah. watch how he gets ready. Just, you know, he's a real pro and anything he accomplishes on the court, it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, and off the court as well. So when um, I was thinking, oh, by the way, if he rejoins the league and he plays on a Saturday, now that he's converted, we d we definitely have to give him grief, don't we? If he plays, <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll cross that bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think. Um, go ahead. <laughs> the when um, 
So I'll give you my own background um, for some, for, for, you probably don't know a lot of it. You know, I was born in Northern California and we moved to Hawaii when I was 12. And um, I grew up from 12 to 20 in Hawaii, played at a very like NAIA level basketball in Hawaii for, for a year. Um, I rode the bench. I was not good enough to play, but there was a moment in my life where I want to say it was probably my senior year in high school where I didn't get any letters from Duke or, well, shoot, Duke wasn't even a big school then, I guess, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA. And I realized no one in Division One is recruiting me. I'm probably not going to go to the NBA. It was I don't know if there was one day I thought about it or it just became true over time, but there was a clear moment probably between my junior and senior year in high school where I – I just knew I wasn't going. And I think it was a dream of mine. And I think it it was it really killed me inside for a while before I realized, okay, I can still get a lot out of this game. Did you ever have a moment like that? Because a lot of people, when when the Jewish Jordan thing took off, people said, Oh, oh man, this guy can ball, he's got handle, he can shoot, he can he makes plays. Like this, this isn't, you know, um, you know, the, the, the this isn't white chocolate. This is even bigger. <laughs> and I guess, was there any point in your career where you kind of were almost disappointed, like, I want to go to that next level, and you couldn't? The only time I could think of anything like that was my final practice as a professional player. By that point in my career, I've already had, like, a major knee replacement, and I had to get my finger surgically put back in, which wasn't really successful, and I was still playing on both of those. With both of them were career-ending injuries, and I fought my way back. And here I am in practice one day, and <laughs> I go up to put a put-back dunk in, and somebody um, comes <laughs> fighting the ball too, and he, his elbow actually shattered all the bones in my left hand. So I had a surgically replaced finger put back in on my right hand. My left hand is now shattered, and my right knee is already my left knee has already been replaced. I'm on the floor. And I can't feel my left hand. And my coach says, Goodman, are you good to go? I said, of course I am. I got back up. I ran down the court. <laughs> and, they whipped up, and they whipped the ball to me. And I couldn't catch a basketball anymore. The ball just dropped down to the floor. And uh, I, 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 I coach was like, do you want me to order an ambulance? And I said, no, I'm probably not on the team anymore. I drove myself to um, the hospital, the emergency room. The doctor was like, hey, don't you play professional basketball? What's going on? I said, yeah, but my career is over. I called my wife from there and I just said, you know, God doesn't want me to play basketball anymore. And Mm. a couple of minutes later, the doctor comes out and he says, look, you're, you're correct. You're done. And Mm. I, I honestly, before that, obviously I wished I could have played for like, you know, I'm only 27. I'll play for like, you know, 10 more years. Hopefully I wanted to play for that much longer, but then I, I, I looked at my hands and looked at my knee and I thought of how much I've overcome just to get to that point. And I just said, wow, yeah, I want to play for 10 more years, but on the other hand, I'm at peace. And why I'm at peace? Because I know I gave way more than any single thing that I got to this game. And I did everything possible to reach my potential. I pushed myself to tears every single day in training. And I just knew that, okay, I was at peace with it. Part of me wanted to play 10 more years, but on the other hand, I felt okay with it because I know I did more than everything possible to fulfill my dream. And, um, you could even go on YouTube, <laughs> even as a kid. You could. I don't promote this. I don't want to say it. I'm not, you know, for younger kids out there listening. But 
I, you could go type in Tamir Goodman three for three with a broken wrist, and you could see when I'm 16 years old, I snap my wrist. It, it's completely shattered. It's hanging off my left hand. You're 16? And I played 16, and I play till the end of the game. I go three for three with one hand until we won the game. And when we won the game, you can see I'm, I'm pass making with one hand, I'm dribbling with one hand, and I look at my coach, okay, I was like, now I can go to the hospital. And, it, and again, it, I wasn't able to play through that pain just – because it's me or it was just about something bigger than me. It was this mission that hopefully I could reach my dream so that I'd be able to inspire other people. And that was kind of like the beginning, you know, that was like the way beginning of the career when the whole journey started and my career actually ended that way. But, you know, if I'm looking, looking back at everything, it was, you know, that same mission and, and I'm, you know, I wasn't able to play 10 more years, but I wasn't able to, I am able to look back and say, wow, I was blessed. I got to play you know, in college on a full scholarship, and I got to play professionally for seven years without ever having to play on Shabbat. I lived out my dream. I'm so blessed. I mean, this is incredible. I, I want to go on YouTube and see that video now. Like, everybody makes a big deal about um, Larry Bird playing a game left-handed um, his whole, just because by choice against Portland because he was bored. And um, and you did it out of necessity. <laughs> That to me is even yeah, more impressive. You'll see. Yeah, watch the tape and just look at my my left uh, wrist there. It's it's pretty nasty. But um, you know, if there's any young players out there and you get hurt, just make sure you're 100 percent before you get back on the court. But it's just a little little crazy how I was back then. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna drop some um, I'm gonna drop some Jewish basketball knowledge on you right now. You probably know this. I'm gonna. This is gonna be the Tamir Goodman uh, Jewish Jordan quiz. The very first. NBA basket was scored by a Knicks player in 1946. Do you know who that player was? I don't know what his name is, but I know that there was a movie about him by a guy named David Voice, and it's called The First Basket, but I forgot what the player's name was. Ozzy Schechtman. Ozzy Schechtman. Wow, Ozzy Schechtman. Yeah, and it, it's a I sad about thing. It, I just didn't know his name. The sad thing is he could probably help the Knicks right now. Uh, Ozzy Schechtman. It's <laughs> uh, I, I I'm so I moved to New York in 1994. I got out of the blue. I got this job from the New York Times, and it changed my life. It almost personally validated me as much as it professionally validated me. And I, and one of my first colleagues was a woman named Sarah Cass, who was a photographer in sports at the New York Times, and her her father was Rabbi Cass. In, in in you know Brooklyn, and she and she said to you know these all the men at my dad's cottage club they love they love the hoop they love hoops you know can you go out and talk to them one Saturday? And I go yeah I mean I've never been to synagogue but yeah sure and I go out there and of course they got the best locks and bagels they got the best, the whole thing is and I'm going out there and I'm talking about the Knicks and they're just they're, one guy comes up to me after the thing a nice gentleman and he, he pinches me on the cheek and he goes are you a member of the tribe and I said well <laughs> sir yes I am I'm part of the world's tribe no are you a member of the tribe <laughs> and but at that moment I was sort of wow the affection for basketball among Jewish people, irrespective of Orthodox or not, how did that be? How did that begin? And what's that? Where did that come from? Wow. Yeah. From what I understand, is after the war, a lot of Jewish immigrants 
came to America, came to New York, and they didn't really have a lot. They didn't really have a lot of money. They were trying to acclimate to American society, and I think basketball for many of them was a quick and easy way to do it because you could just take a milk carton, put it on a pole, and use either newspaper or, or old ball as a basketball and start shooting hoops. It doesn't cost a lot of money, and it's a lot of fun, and I think that was how it started, but you know, we know that now there's been so many you know, great contributions to basketball um, from Jewish people, and I think we saw that last week when we saw the obituaries and people writing their thoughts for uh, David Stern, the commissioner, um, and everything he accomplished. And I was very, very – I thought it was very special to see so many players, so many amazing personalities just contribute – just say – you know, to thank so many sweet words and kind words to, 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 to acknowledge his contribution to the game of basketball, knowing that he was a, a Jewish person. So there's definitely a strong connection between basketball and the Jewish community. I think that it started after the war when they came over because it was an easy way to become American and it was a fun game that didn't cost a lot of money to get involved in. But looking back now, we see that the Jewish people have been able to make a nice contribution to the game of basketball. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it, I think as many Jews moved up the socioeconomic ladder in the 1950s, um, a lot of African-Americans at that time were beca first becoming prominent in the sport. Um, and one of the great stories, of course, uh, you talk about bridging the two communities, Milton Kutcher, the owner of the famous Borscht Belt Resort in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. He was a prominent basketball fan who employed many black high school and college players as summer employees. And one of them, of course, was Wilt Chamberlain. And uh, he even hired Red Auerbach to coach Kutcher's basketball team, which I, that can you imagine just saying, hey, Red, can you can you coach my summer team? Uh, and each summer he hosted the Marie Stokes benefit basketball game, which attracted many big name players who helped raise money to help pay for the care of the great player who was paralyzed in 1958. And it's, uh, to me, it was, it's one of those basketball brought them together, but really humanity brought them together. Yeah. I mean, I walk into the, I'm still on the court every day, most of the time coaching. And every single day I walk into the gym and it's empty. I just, I walk in there even before the players get there and I just look at the ball and I'm amazed from anew every single day, what this ball could accomplish. And sometimes after practice, I'll just be leaving and people, hey, come here, how's it going? I'm holding the ball in my hand. I'm like, you know, thank God everything is great. I'm holding this ball right here. And I cannot tell you how much good could come out from this ball right here. And I think that's been my mission in life and continues to be my mission in life. And I could have never done it without being surrounded by so many amazing people throughout my journey and being inspired by all the people that were around before me. I, I grew up on these stories. Uh, my father used to read to me stories about old basketball legends, people that did a lot of great work through the game, and I just feel very, very blessed to hopefully continue to try to do that and bring a little light to the world even a little bit through this game. Tamir Goodman, born January 18, 1982. Uh, by the way, you happy early birthday. Um, you're... Thank you very much. You'll, you how how old will you be? let's see it's, it's 82 to 2020 you're 38 almost I'm gonna be 38 years old that's yeah. crazy Tamir Goodman yeah. I remember watching you when you were like you know like you, you were 20 that's nuts I feel <laughs> old it makes me feel old 
Yeah, that's that's not. Well, one of the things looking forward to. No, it's it's great. Um, The when uh, when you walk down the street in Israel, anywhere, any city, are you are you like well known there? Are you a hero, or do they know who you are, or is it more among the basketball community? Well, I think almost honestly, almost anywhere I go, somebody will stop me. It's really weird. It's just so much publicity through my journey. I, you know, when I was, there was one week where I had over 700 media requests in one week. So like four pages in Sports Illustrated and just so many interviews. Oh, yeah. That it's wherever, it's like I could be in a random airport and they could be checking my bags and then like return that bag to me and say, Hey, are you by any chance of Jewish Jordan? <laughs> you know, and I'm like in the most random place. <laughs> That's and cool. It's like, wow. Wow. It's, it, you can't imagine how much when you're 17 or 18 or 19, how much that will change your life getting that much attention. So it was never about me though. And I just try to, if, if no, someone, this whole, this whole know, podcast hey, was, this to, whole, this whole <laughs> podcast was about you, Tamir. <laughs> try to try to like uh, make someone no. you know feel good back at them. So yeah, uh, a yes, couple. Where, a lot of times, they'll say everywhere. A lot of places I go, people will stop me and say, "Are you the Jewish story?" Yeah, uh, I never ask to be called. <laughs> I you know it's funny how it's funny how you take on an identity like that because I remember doing a story on Jason Williams in Sacramento, and I looked at his knuckles one day and I said, "Your knuckles have." white boy tattooed on them i go is that is there a pride thing is that an identity what do you and he said i i don't know but i like if you were brought in like you said the the pride that you must have felt in pikesville when i was at a small gym in hawaii if the if the guys in the marine if the guys in the military who played basketball on the sub base gym at barbers point would let me play in their games when i was 16 and they would call me like, it's Bird, it's Bird. I was, it, it wasn't like, oh, they're making fun of the one white guy who plays basketball well. No, it was like, it, it, it was almost a rite of passage. Like they're going to let me play with them. And I think, and I think you do, you don't assume that identity, but you also don't shy away from it if, if it's a positive thing. If it's a positive thing, and like I said, hopefully if it could be used as a tool to inspire other people, then you have to use it in that way. That's why it was given to you, in my opinion. And a couple of regrets I have with your career. I'm just going to lay them out for you right now. Still bothered that you went to Towson and not Yeshiva. You could have brought Yeshiva to the tournament. And that's just wrong. Yeshiva University. Um, <laughs> I love Yeshiva University. <laughs> I am very much in touch with them. Oh, I you are? I coach many of their players. Many, many of their players uh, I've coached because they, many of them come on a gap year program before they go to Yeshiva University, and they're doing a phenomenal job. Coach Elliot Steinmetz and um, the players there, they're, they're making history, so I'm so proud of them. I didn't play there necessarily, but I'm, you know, I'm glad that I'm very, very involved in the program now for, for huh? many years now. People don't know, too, like when we talk about the Jewish world, like you average 35.4 points per game at, at the – Talmudical Academy of Baltimore in 11th grade. I mean, to me, it's, it was crazy. 
we had a really good coach, Coach Katz, who had a, an unbelievable offense that was very hard to guard and really put us in great situations to score and very hard to scout because we didn't have any sets. We just read the defense and, and had a motion. It wasn't like people could scout us and say, you know, when they call out five, they're doing this. When, you know, and there wasn't really positions. It wasn't like he was so ahead of, of, of the time. Like, there wasn't like you're the one, you're the two, you're the three. It's, it's kind of like what we're seeing now. And if you can make a shot, shoot the shot. Like, even if it's way beyond NBA range and you're only 16 or 17, <laughs> he would say, look, if you can make it, shoot it. And back then, you know, it was seen as like, Unorthodox. I mean, who's shooting the ball? It's not a good shot. It's not a high percentage shot, but he just gave us the confidence and showed us how to play and showed us how to, how to read the defense. Yeah. And just very, very blessed to play for such an incredible mind, such an incredible mentor and human being. And yet you left Coach Katz and you went to the Tacoma Park Academy in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Did they give you money? We, you can talk about it now if it's, it's okay. <laughs> They did not, they didn't give me money, but they said, you will be able to graduate here. We'll take all of your credits. You won't have to play on the Sabbath and you will be welcome like family. And that's exactly how it was. And I told this day, very, very thankful to them and very much in touch with many of the players and uh, the staff at that school. And I, I thank them for saving me in a lot of ways because I could not find a school that could accommodate me for my senior high school and post-diploma academy brought me in and, and, and really welcomed me like family. Did, did uh, When you were recruited by Maryland, did Gary Williams have a home visit and all that? I uh, did not have a home visit with Coach. I was mostly in touch with Coach Han, Billy Han, and I'm yep. still in touch with him until today. Um, I, I, you know, he's a great guy. And um, I never, ever had any bad feelings to Maryland, and I never will. I grew up watching Maryland basketball, yep. um, and I loved everything they accomplished. And, I'm, you know, I'm proud of them. I still root for them. I'm still close with some of the guys that were around back then. Recently spoke to Steve Francis on the phone, which was really nice to reconnect with him. And, um, you know, everything worked out well for them, worked out well for me, and well, everything with me is all blessings. I'm not a man of grudges or or fights or uh, thank God I've, I'm on good terms with everybody. And even when I decided to leave Maryland, I, I never like said, you know, bad things to someone or in a bad way, or I just wish them best of luck. My mom and I walked down on the court. We stood in the M at the old Coalfield house. And I just said, Ima, with his mother and Hilo, I'm just, I'm never going to play here. And, you know, I, I remain on good terms with everybody and I wish everybody all the best. And I, that's just the way I, I was raised in the way that I am. <laughs> well, not only do you still walk the walk, uh, talk, the, talk the talk, walk the walk, um, you, you also, you, you also do so much more for others. If, if, before I let you go, if I could ask you what message you have for, you know, African-American fans about their fellow citizens who are Jewish, people out there listening who, uh, who, who wonder, like, what's the problem? What, why is this? Why are these things happening? And, and I would, it's easy to say, well, wait a minute. These are two people who have, uh, two people and two cultures, creeds, races in many ways, who suffered extreme prejudice and oppression 
at many different times in their history, it's almost like a no brainer that they get together rather than pull apart. But, but if you had a message, what would it be? I agree with you. We've both been through so much. We're family. If anyone could relate, it should be us relating to each other and the struggles that our communities are going through. And we should be together, bring a lot of light and goodness and kindness to the world. We have so much in common. Both of our faiths are based on respect for one another, giving back spirituality, random acts of goodness and kindness. And with those powerful tools, that both of our communities are based on and based on everything that we went through, we should unite as family, create the change that the world needs. And like I said earlier, like the teaching from Lubavitch, if we see something that needs to be fixed, God's putting us there to fix it and make it better. And that's where we should put our energies in because surely the energies will, 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 will bear really good fruit that will be good for everybody. Uh, what a great message. Thank you so much. My last request is if you pronounce that rabbi's name that was really long because it sounded it sounded more impressive than Dikembe Matambo's full name. Um, if you could yeah. pronounce that. His name, he, his name was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. He was the head of the Chabad of the World Babavish Movement. He passed away um, in 1994, but he basically set up um, you could Google it. He set up like we're never going to be able to to understand how much good he brought to the world. But he sent out messengers. There's over um, eight thousand of them now. Their husbands and wives that have gone around the world, and all they do is set, set up in local communities uh, everywhere, and they just walk around and say, "How can I help?" Doesn't matter who, what, where you're from. What do you need? Um, whether it's educational or medical or physical or you know, the whole Chabad movement is based on, you know, God brought you down to this world to be there for other people. And he brought so much light to the world through that. And that was just one of his teachings. And I had the great honor of meeting him uh, and seeing him in person when I was a child. My father took me to meet him uh, mm. four times and that never, never left me. So I still try to study his teachings as much as possible. Well, this has been incredible for me. Uh, I even I, if I've tried to camouflage some of my true feelings with humor, the truth of the matter is, is he really inspired me. And I hope everybody that hears this, this is great stuff, Tamir. And and I really hope to connect with you in person at some point. Um, if, the next time you come back here, shoot, even if you got two or three days, I I would just love to I would be honored to go visit your father's grave with you even. Because I think that would be Thank you. Th that would be you know, that would be big. Uh, because I think he sounds just hearing from him. I I would like to know more about him. You know what I mean? It's just great stuff. Yeah. Well, and thank Bruce, you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And Bruce is Bruce and is I, messaging me that uh, we should go get a corned beef sandwich together. I think that's anti-Semitic, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> well, yeah. if you guys come to Jerusalem, I'll take you to lunch at one of the good restaurants here. Oh, and if I'm great. in Maryland, you're welcome to come um, and 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 spend some time with me and come with me to my father's grave. And uh, where he's buried in itself is, is is a beautiful story, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear it. Thank, thank you so much, sir. Uh, Tamir Goodman calling in from the Holy Land in Jerusalem. I feel like uh, I feel blessed today in many ways, and uh, and thank you, and and thank your wife and your family for letting you spend the time with us today.
Thank you. I will let them know. Thank you so much. All right. All the okay. best and warmest regards to everybody back home. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. I'd again like to thank this week's guest, Tamir Goodman, the Jewish Jordan who joined us from Jerusalem. We all hope that the sport of basketball can help reunite the African-American and Jewish communities, which have given us such a rich history of working together to the mutual benefit of both. Obviously, I couldn't do this without Bruce Bernstein, my producer, and Ben Wolfen back in New York, who puts it all together. We all hope that the sport of basketball can help to reunite the African-American and Jewish communities, which have such a rich history of working together to the mutual benefit of both. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Otto's the new sports editor of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, so maybe he'll do a Luka Doncic story once in a while. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt drops by with buckets, boards, and blocks. And every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And I'm back each Monday. Please check out all of our shows. Download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on The Mike Wise Show. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.